Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Does your sales team function like a group of mavericks? Do your newly hired sales reps seem confused about what it is that they should be doing? Are you finding disconnects between sales and other key departments like marketing or operations? Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on building a sales process for repeatable success. In it, you'll learn how to measure the effectiveness of your sales process, evolve it over time, and more. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 218. This is Elizabeth Frederick, as always, and today I am speaking to the Economic Development Executive Officer of the city of Phoenix, Arizona. Beautiful place. I definitely haven't been out there in way too long. He is also an honorary consul for the state of Arizona, and he works with the British consulate helping to drive uh, British investment in Phoenix and Arizona, as well as help British citizens when they're traveling there. So that's a fun little interesting fact. Um, Our guest is Hank Marshall. We are so glad to have you here, Hank. Hey, Elizabeth, I'd like to meet that guy that you're talking about. That was spectacular. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Um, it's it's fun to have so many different guests with different um, types of experience. And I think you have a lot that our listeners should be, should be interested in. So I just shared kind of titles. Um, and a title isn't necessarily all that who you are. So could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe share a little bit about the journey that you've been on to get where you are today or um, why it is that you're doing what it is that you do. Well, thank you. And I'll, I'll try and be succinct with respect to your, your audience, but also try and make it uh, interesting. So I'm a, I'm a rather unique individual uh, for, in an economic development sense. It was not a, a chosen career path, if you will. It was one that um, about seven years ago was something that I got invited into and I found it to be uh, very fascinating and it, it played well with my prior experience, uh, both work experience and educational experience and life experience, if you will. Um, I think, you know, my journey began with uh, myself and my three brothers living overseas for the entirety of my formative years. By that, I mean, you know, from essentially birth through high school. And, uh, you know, the only time I started living in the U.S. was when I went to college. Um, Now, that journey itself, you know, took us to, I think, the last account I have is something on the order of seven or eight countries that we lived in. Um, And, you know, although it was some time ago, it uh, it was formative for me in the in the sense that as a kid growing up, you you weren't living in the U.S. You didn't have uh, in many cases the conveniences of the U.S. You were living in a foreign country. You were uh, you know having to conform to the norms of the culture uh, of the country you were living in. But you learned to embrace that. Mm-hmm. You learned to to really understand uh, the world. So I think it's a perspective that. I'm immensely grateful to my parents for. I'm not sure they set out to do that intentionally, but um, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, you know, it, you learn a couple of languages. You, um, I think, you become a, a citizen of the world uh, very early on, and it does help shape you as an adult. I think you, for me, I think uh, I'm more culturally aware. I'm more culturally astute, and and that plays well in a um, in an economic development role where. You know, your city is made up of an awful lot of diverse components, companies, people, where they're from, whether they're arriving or they've been here for a long time. It 
it really helps if if you're not somebody that you know your family has lived on the same block in a town for nine <laughs> generations. Um, and I'm not I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying you know my perspective is and you know City of Phoenix is a great backdrop for that in the sense that. Um, I'm going to say the vast majority of people, let's say 75% of the people in Phoenix and in Arizona come from somewhere else. Okay. Um, the, statistic, the statistic I have is about 100,000 people populated Phoenix in 1950. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to today where it's 1.7 million people in that same town. It means wow. that an awful lot of people moved here. Um, and... You know, I'll get into a lot of more data on the city itself, I think, a little bit later on. But that backdrop suggests that people come from a lot of different places, have made it home. And, and become from, because you're some from, from somewhere else, you, you have to play nice. You have to get out and meet people. You have to integrate. You have to, uh, because it doesn't have a 300-year history with an awful lot of legacy to it, it is building its legacy every day as we, as we live here. So the journey, uh, my personal journey, in a way, is a nice overlay to, I think, the journey that the city of Phoenix is on. It is a very young city. Uh, the state was formed in 1912. So, again, it's a very, very young state. Um, and uh, and I think that the, the alignment there is is particularly um, interesting, and I think it's, uh, it's very productive. Definitely. Um, I love that the way that you can um, kind of align your personal story with the story of the city. And uh, New York is a really interesting place to me in that it has that constant revitalization from new people coming all the time, all the time, all the time. But also it has a foundation of significant history. And so I always enjoy seeing the differences between cities like that, where um, you have the one of those two pieces, but not the other. Um, And seeing the way that younger cities are able to do things like make significant investments in infrastructure that a more established city maybe doesn't have the space for, maybe the politics make it difficult, whatever it is, um, are always really fascinating. Fascinating. So speaking of that, um, and speaking of Phoenix, you're in economic development there. I imagine you know a lot about what's going on. So what are some of the exciting things that have been going on lately in Phoenix? Well, you know, um, if if you ask an average American, it's even funnier if you ask a uh, somebody who doesn't live in the United States. If you ask the average American to pick the top biggest cities, top five cities in the United States, I, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you that Phoenix would never make the list. Okay. It, uh, you know, it, it seemed, I think, by most people uh, to be a, uh, you know, maybe a, a 10 to 20 ranking city or a second tier type of city. But the ra- reality of it is Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the United States. And by all projections, you know, by as early as 2030, we could be the fourth largest city. So, to give you an idea of the company that the city of Phoenix is in, you've got, uh, you know, New York, L.A., Chicago. Houston is currently fourth. Phoenix is fifth. Mm-hmm. So to be in that caliber of city, to be within that um, that grouping says a lot about where we have um, 
we found a way to be attractive to people. People have moved here for opportunity. People have moved here for something new. Um, and uh, we, we see roughly 200 people a day move to Phoenix. So wow. essentially, we are currently the fastest growing city in the United States. Uh, the county that Phoenix is in, Maricopa County, equally is the fastest growing county uh, in the United States. Um, here's a couple little tidbits for you. Our airport, Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, is the 10th busiest in the country. Uh, Wall Street Journal again ranked Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport as the best airport in the United States. And that has nice. a lot to do with, you know, arrival times, departure times, experience, baggage, journey. Um, and with the degree to which people are flying these days and that connectivity is essential personally and for business, having an, air, having an airport that provides that is, uh, is essential. We've got the biggest and most innovative university in the United States, Arizona State University. Um, it provides that, that ongoing stable of new graduates, whether it's undergraduate or graduate, uh, mm-hmm. to feed the growing businesses that are here or the relocating businesses that are here. So it's, uh, you know, those are, are, are essential to existing business as well as new business. And here's a fact for you. Um, the population within Phoenix, 1.7 million people, roughly 41% is Hispanic. The national average is 17. So we view that as a huge uh, competitive advantage, as an asset that we have. A, a very uh, a young, um, an educated, uh, bilingual uh, you know, mm-hmm. population as well as a workforce, which we, we see a lot of people leverage. We also have, the, and believe it or not, the fastest growing demographic in uh, Phoenix is the the Asian population. Um, So, you know, we, despite what people might think that it's a cowboy town or it's somewhere on a stagecoach line, um, it is very diverse and it's growing in all those sectors. And it's got a very unique population mix that uh, is is appealing to people who live here and appealing to people who work here. Man, you are you're a good salesperson for uh, for the city of Phoenix. I had gotten um, a uh, an offer, a scholarship offer to Arizona State. I'm kind of wishing I took it because I woke up this morning and it was 27 degrees, and I did not want to get out of bed here in New York. (laughs) And if I settled myself in Arizona, I think I might be a little happier. Well, you know, it's it's funny that you brought that up because again. Today is going to be a high of 70 degrees. Beautiful, sunny at the moment. Uh, it's going to be no, no, no. But here, here's the, I, I didn't mean to be mean, but um, so <laughs> here's the beauty of Arizona. If if I had got if I had, wasn't you know having this delightful conversation with you this morning, I would have gotten up today, perhaps taken a sick day, vacation day, got in my car at around 6:30, driven two and a half hours north to Flagstaff. I would have put my skis on um, and skied because we uh, snowball has 48 trails, seven lifts, and I believe a 52-inch snow base right now. Absolutely amazing skiing. I would ski till about one or two o'clock. Snowboard maybe if I could ever figure that out. Um, you know, <laughs> grab a bite to eat, come back, and uh, maybe barbecue with my neighbors tonight back home. 
So we, we have nice. this, this great, interesting climatic asset that, uh, you know, I admit in the middle of summer, it is it is pretty hot. Um, and, uh, you know, you can equally escape north from that. But in the wintertime, it's fascinating. You, you have access to those winter activities that somebody might think you'd have to give up. Uh, you know, the ocean is a three-hour drive away. So we've got a lot of, you know, interesting things. And then if you're a sports fan, um, January 1st, the Fiesta Bowl will be in Phoenix, and that's uh, going to be a big game between Ohio State and Clemson. So both teams travel well. They will light up our town with, with their color and their, their passion for their, their team. The Waste Management Golf Open at the end of January is regarded as the largest golf tournament in the world. 700,000 people wow. will descend wow. on that golf course over the course of four days. Um, and then interestingly enough, spring training, which is in March, brings just mm-hmm. under 2 million people to watch baseball games in, you know, and over a course of about three to four weeks. Uh, and about 30% of those are from overseas, baseball lovers who, who want to see their, their team. Oh, yeah. really? That's um, interesting. So it's, a, you know, again, it, it's got a lot of dimensions to it that make it a fun place to either visit, live. Play, um, and uh, we're very proud of it. Definitely, it sounds like it, and you have a lot to be proud of. I, I love. Um, I have a sister that lives in San Diego, and she has a similar thing. You can be at the beach in the morning, and then go skiing in the yep. afternoon. Um, so lots of fun, um, and a lot of what you were describing there sounds like it's a, a very good place to live, but also I can tell you know how to speak about it as a, a great place to do business, and you've got a, a, a wonderful growing population. Um, so you can sell. You just sold your okay, city to good. me. I, I'm kind of getting ready to good. pack up and move. Um, but I think our listeners might be a little curious, okay, your economic development, how does that necessarily relate to selling maybe other things? But I know you have a strong mind for that and you see the parallels. When we were talking before, um, you brought up a few. So you mentioned one trend that you've been seeing lately in economic development that has a really important lesson for salespeople. And I'd love it if you could share that with us now. And listen, you know, this is a wonderful discussion. You know, when you and I first talked, it felt like we were kindred spirits. So um, it's like having a fireside chat with you and I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. Um, you know, the uh, attracting, you know, our job is twofold. One, it's, um, it's shepherding, it's caring for, it's nurturing businesses that are already here. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like in sales, the client that you have, it's a lot easier to keep that one than to land a new one. You know, and, and I think that's, that's the parallel, yeah. right? Is treasure the one you have, nurture the one you have, value the one you have. And that's the same thing for us as a city. We don't care how big the company is, whether it's two employees or a thousand, we, we regard them the same way. They're, they're, they're a huge asset to our community. Um, but we have a dedicated team that cares for the what we call the aftercare companies that are already here. What keeps the CEO up at night? What can I fix for you? What can I, you know, what what can we do? Um, and that's not really a sale. I don't have to sell Phoenix to them. They're already here. It's uh, it's more of an aftercare a concierge service, if you will. And when we're recruiting mm-hmm. companies to come to Phoenix and we do that in two parallel paths. One is trying to recruit domestic located companies from other states here. Uh, 
And we're not trying to necessarily poach them or attract them in their totality, but if they're expanding and they're looking at the general West, mm-hmm. we would argue that we, we would be a good fit for them. And similarly, if international companies are coming to the U.S. or are already here, we would argue that they would, uh, they would succeed or they would be able to grow their business in the U.S. by being uh, in Phoenix. Um, that sales process is, is always very lengthy. I mean, we're not talking about going out and, uh, you know, uh, buying a, uh, a cell phone or, or buying a Christmas tree where it's impulse. And uh, there's usually an awful lot of due diligence associated with it, a lot of comparative efforts comparing different cities, regions, um, many times self-directed by the company. Many times they're using a consultant to, to help them with that. Um and, you know, the process usually starts with um, what we call uh, just generally a lead, you know, like in most sales processes, a lead, which then gets into a, uh, a project, if you will. I mean, I, sorry, a, um, a prospect. So we go lead to prospect. Mm-hmm. And then the prospect at some point in time, time involves into a project where we now have a, mm-hmm. a legitimate thing where we're not talking uh, again about some sort of gelatinous or gray matter. And the project, when it does come out the other side is typically what we call a locate. We get a company to physically do something in market. Um, historically, getting back to your trend question, historically when companies came to, and this is no different when they were going, if they were looking at Mississippi, Florida, Ohio, or Arizona, a company would typically start off domestically anyway at the state level. They would they would come through a state economic development agency and navigate those halls and maybe be pointed in the direction of a city or a number of cities. Um, and then they would, they would follow that path to a city if they got there. Um, the international side is as another layer. So an international company will typically look at the U.S., and their first foray would be usually the U.S. Department of Commerce in, in D.C. So they would start there and say, hey, we're a, let's pick a company. We're from the United Kingdom. We are somewhat agnostic about where we want to go. However, these are the kind of general attributes of a, of a region we'd like to see. Here's kind of a, a profile of what we're looking to do. The U.S. government at that point in time would do their best to try and assess the U.S. as a whole and provide them with a short list of states that might meet that criteria. Um, So that's the first filter. Mm -hmm. And then the company would typically act on that, maybe look at the list, identify if they were going to contact all those states or pick one or two or three, get to the state. And then, as I mentioned earlier, go through the state process of identifying cities that might uh, might be of interest. You know, that whole timetable could take a year. I mean, uh, it it can be uh, very very daunting, very um, time consuming, and in some cases, you you see people just give up. It it just seems very arduous. Um, So the trend that we're seeing, which is very welcomed, by the way, is companies in whatever way that they're doing it, we haven't found the what what was the catalyst that made it pivot. But we're finding a lot of companies are coming directly to cities. And I suggest or I would argue that a lot of the reason is 
you know, that city is located in a state and is located in a country. So you're bypassing the, the filters that aren't needed. Um, we are able to quickly provide them with the very important information that they're looking for, whether it's workforce, whether it's real estate, whether it's schools for their kids, housing availability, utility costs, all of the things that are going to influence their ability to make a commitment to our market. And, and we do a lot of handholding. So, you know, I think that they've rather that rather than handhold five different people for a year, I'd rather find the one person that I want to handhold that's actually going to get me where I want to go, get me the information that I want. So it fast tracks it in a way. It short circuits the entire process so it can move more quickly. Um, and in some instances, maybe it involves more than one city. You're, you're down to a city competition or a beauty contest. And like you normal, <laughs> normally have in, a, in any kind of a sale, you may not be the only person quoting or uh, trying to land a book of business or a purchase order. You may be one of two or three. Um, and, you know, in many instances, we may not know who our competition is. In some instances, we do. In some instances, we don't. We, you know, we actually are in a room with our competition try and, uh, and win that book of business. But more often than not, um, you know, we meet with the decision makers and, and that our average project time from lead to locate is and somewhere between 18 months to 36 months. That's the sales cycle. Um, okay. And like any sales cycle, it has those euphoric highs of where you think you're about to close the deal. And then something changes. Um, and you're, maybe you're not back to square one, but you have to recalibrate and you have to kind of, again, dig in. Um, and it could be a personnel change of the, the, the client or the company. It could be um, forecast or earnings or a shift in mentality, um, uh, a new direction. Um, I mean, fill in the blank. It can be a currency swing if it's a foreign company that their currency back home is, you know, has taken a tumble and they're no longer no longer able to afford to uh, make that uh, an investment. So I think that we we find ourselves having to be very respectful of of the process because we're not the driver of it. We are the um, we're trying to facilitate that for them, and um, we never we never try and accelerate it artificially. It's going to take its own path. Uh, we're there to pro provide any supporting information. You know, if you want to come out and visit for a 10th time, we're there to do that. If, you know, it, it is all about the company. It's all about, this is no different than anybody else's in the sales business. It's all about what they're looking for. And in the same way in other sales, what we want to do is not just land this client or this company in Arizona and check a box. We are going to, Mm -hmm. We want to integrate them into the fabric of our business community, make sure that they succeed. You know, we, we often say that this isn't meant to be Darwinian, where if you come here and you succeed, terrific. Um, or, you know, the flip would be if you come here and don't succeed, that we really don't care. No, it's quite the opposite. We are very committed to, uh, to making sure that the choice that they make if they come to Phoenix is one that we respect, we honor, we take it forward, and we're in it with them. There's an old adage in our business that says people go where they're liked, but they stay where they're wanted. 
And I think Uh the way that we do what we do, the way that we wrap ourselves around our clients is the demonstration of the fact that, that we truly want them here. And, you know, our, our large team that does the aftercare work is where they get kind of handed off to once they make that decision to come here. We wrap around our, our concierge team to make sure that the aftercare and, uh, is there for them. It's not mandatory. We'll hold that aftercare hand for as long as they want it. If they're ready to fly solo, we'll let them go. You know, we do tend to visit roughly 2,000 companies, sorry, 6,000 companies a year um, with our business uh, business team. So we're, we're out there visiting them, even though they may have been in our market for five to 10 years. We're going to circle back to you to make sure that you're doing okay. There isn't something that um, we should already be aware of or that we need to be aware of. Um, so I think our behavior is is validating this trend switch, which is to deep dive quickly into a city where they're going to be more responsive, more able to facilitate the transaction than anybody at either a uh, state or a federal level who is simply going to pass it along anyway. They were integrated into the equation or into the formula early on, but didn't necessarily add a lot of value. Um, and uh, it's fun, and we appreciate the way that that's evolved. I love that. And I would identify that there are kind of a few different themes that I heard kind of repeated throughout that process that really translate to direct sales. One of them, and I think this is really happening everywhere in the world, is buyers are reducing friction in the in the buying process wherever they can. So it if I had to jump through 10 hoops to get a hold of of somebody in the city of Phoenix before, and I can just go straight to you, I'm going to do that. And most companies are seeing the same thing. Your buyer comes to you having looked online at all of the information that they think that they need to make a decision. And so they've, they've done all the research. They've looked up all the specs. They've, they've tried to figure out what the implementation process looks like. And so you can't expect a buyer to follow a convoluted process that you made up just for the sake of of having it, you have to make sure that you are providing value, that you are meeting them where they are, that you are making information available to them if if they're asking for it. And if you don't, you have to understand your competitors will, and and then you're going to get caught out. Spot on. You're really, yeah, yeah, you, you paraphrased my, my four minute rant into a 20 second synopsis that was spot on. (laughs) <laughs> well, and there, there is something else that you mentioned that I think is really important. And you mentioned allowing them to take their time and go with the flow of what's happening because you don't know what's going on. Let's say you had been courting a company in the UK to, um, to relocate themselves in, or, or, you know, to make a new location in Phoenix. And then everything that's been going on with, with Brexit and elections and all kinds of drama. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying, if you were pushy, and if you were saying, um, you've got to do it now, and, and you didn't understand that they have situations going on on their end, uh, they're going to get very frustrated with you. They're going to they're gonna, you know, see that email or that phone call from you and be like, why are you bothering me? I have a lot going on. It might not be as, as newsworthy and as significant as a situation like that, but we have to understand that every organization that we're talking to has stuff going on that we don't know about. Yeah. And so- 
if in sales you get really emotionally invested in each one of your deals and you feel like I, I just have to chase this one, I've got to close it, you know, it's important for me for my quarter. That's not the same urgency that your prospect has. And you have to, you can sometimes in an appropriate way, create more of a sense of urgency in a prospect and help them maybe discover some urgency that they didn't know existed if it's valid. You know, if they think I could just call you tomorrow and you could get me up and running and it really takes a little longer than that, you can say, hey, you know, I understand you have a lot going on, but we do need to sign off by this date in order to hit your implementation target. So what can I do to make that happen? That's okay. But in general, you have to recognize somebody's sense of, of urgency and then match it with your approach. And if you're only chasing one opportunity, that gets really hard to do. But if you have a whole pipeline, it's it's a lot easier to recognize, oh, this one's slowing down, this one's speeding up, and, and be able to kind of manage that. I mean, you're absolutely right. And the one thing that you know, we, we make a habit of is, is constant communication. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, you know, not trying to do it exclusively through text or, you know, email is scheduling regular meetings, you know, and there may be a two hour time zone difference. Maybe there's a 14 and a half hour time zone or with the UK it's seven, but mm-hmm. you know, is touching base with them and saying, listen, I know it's been a while. You've given us some direction, you know, five weeks ago and, you know, it's now about that point in time, just circling back to make sure that nothing has changed on your end and that if we need to uh, begin to work harder on your behalf, change what we're doing, just let us know. And you'd be surprised how many people will tell us, you know, if we're not calling, you know, the city or whoever they're working with, we we never hear from them. You know, there's this... Uh-huh kind of, uh, I don't know what the term is, ghosting or, or crazy silence that, um, you know, happens because people that sometimes are afraid to, you know, not, uh, you know, irritate somebody by by being engaged. It's easy to fire off an email and feel like that's not intrusive, but some people find that almost more intrusive because it's, you look like you're checking a box. Well, I sent you a reminder. I, I sent you a, you know, I, I just okay. checked in. Um but, uh, you know, we, we do our best to, as you indicated, respect the speed of the journey. Um, but, you know, we also respond when someone says, listen, it's absolutely imperative that if I'm going to pick your location, we have to be up, running, in, and operating in X amount of time, days, weeks, months. We take that seriously. It's not like it's got a capacity mm-hmm. of 10 or 12 months. If they give us a date. We, we hold to it and we bring everybody in within our city, whether it's planning and development or, you know, any of our sisters uh, agencies within our city to make sure that that process goes well. Because, um, you know, we, we respect if somebody says it's important to my business then it's important to us. Definitely. I, I just really love that. And, and you know, as, as we said at the beginning, you're selling and and this is this is modern sales this is how things are changing um that staying in touch and nurturing a relationship as it develops not being pushy but being professional and you know holding people accountable to targets when appropriate um checking in with your expertise uh, knowing what what things will take that's a value that you can add and um, i love that you mentioned using different methods of communication because that's so important for all of 
less. Um, it you can do it just when you know. Hey, I'm having difficulty getting a hold of somebody on on their office phone. Why don't I try their cell phone? Or um, they're not responding well to calls. Maybe I should email. Or um, you know, I've I've been calling. Maybe I should text. Whatever it is, there some flexibility there is always helpful. Figuring out somebody's preferred method of communication. But it's not even just about that. It's 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 that warmth of showing that you care. Um, when if it's just all emails and it's just kind of I'm checking in, I'm checking in, I'm checking in, that can start to seem very rote, and it can start to seem like they're just checking the box. Um, and and so you can take the same kind of philosophy, the same concept, and just figure out what's a way I could do it where it's not going to come off in a way that's that's you know potentially turning off my prospect and it sounds like you're really um constantly working on on making sure to do that so that's wonderful and then there's one other thing i'll share with you because i think it's important in a sales environment in a sales world we can be meeting with a prospect who's given us a very uh say fairly detailed profile of of a project um, and we'll meet with a ceo or meet with an executive team and they'll tell us it needs to be um, close to a uh, highway. <laughs> it needs to have 30-foot ceilings. It needs to have redundant electrical power. It needs to have a certain type of flooring. It needs an overhead crane. It needs uh, certain, uh, you know, uh, internet service. It, you know, all the things that we deal with, um, you know, from the physical side of it, we need to employ, we think, five people, 20 people, 30 people. Um, this, and then, you know, at our second meeting, we'll get somebody that will join the group. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it happened not too, not too long ago where the, um, the wife of the CEO, um, was in the meeting and, um, she said, you know, what's really important to me is what are, you know, are there any foreign language schools, um, you know, can my kids learn Mandarin? Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's not paying attention to, if you're gauging it strictly by, listen, they told me three weeks ago that all that was important to this project was that it have this kind of ceiling, this many parking spots, um, access to the highway. If you didn't just listen to what was asked, which was, do you have schools that teach kids Mandarin? All of a sudden, the number one priority was somebody, and you don't know the details, has a kid or more kids where it's important to those people that they have the ability and the access to a facility and service that teaches Mandarin. That, that quickly became the priority. Mm-hmm. And we did. We, we've, got, we've got plenty of them. And we provided that list. And in the closing of the project, you know, because we – we didn't trivialize that. We didn't say, well, who are you? And, you know, we've already got a list. I'll add it to it. Um, you know, we were told at the end by the executive team and the CEO himself is to say, he said, you know, you took that request seriously. You understood the significance mm-hmm. of it. It wasn't an anecdotal, you know, second level kind of criteria. He said, if he would come mm-hmm. back to me and said, we don't have any schools that do that. He said, we wouldn't have located here. He said it's mm-hmm. essential. Um, so it's my way of saying that every now and then in that sales cycle, you will start off with what I think you understand to be the criteria for success. 
No, that's you know, ironically the company, your company name. What is the criteria for success? But pay attention because in some instances, not all, that criteria for success shifts. And you have to be acutely aware of that and, you know, pause, reflect, ask questions, make sure you understand the significance of that. Because if you don't, that sale, however you want to look at it, is done. Because you're either off the list, you're out of the mix, you're not uh, somebody that is in the top anymore because uh, you're, you're either not sensitive to it, you haven't integrated it into your quote, you haven't made it part of your response, you haven't given it the importance that it merits. Um, I'm not sure, and I could beat that to death, but I think you get that. Um, and uh, so it is paying attention for what the criteria for success is. You have to. Absolutely. And I think that that also speaks to a larger lesson as well of the importance of the ex- the overall experience you provide both during the selling process and then with whatever um, whatever the delivery process is, whether it's a product that you're providing or a service. A lot of times we focus on the, the yep. facts and the technicalities and all kinds of little details. And this is something we see in, in many of our clients. Uh, let's say you're a wealth management company. Technically, all wealth management companies do generally the same thing. You manage people's money, right? <laughs> that's that's the bulk of what you do. But you could provide a really supportive customer experience where you could say, we're going to help you build the financial skills in the next generation. We're going to provide concierge services for your complex life. And we're going to really help you manage, um, you know, the, the difficulties of, um, of, of your situation, whatever it might be, you can provide those services to go above and beyond. You can do that during the sales process, making it easy for people to buy, thinking about, um, the way people will experience your communication and, you know, if you have a proposal, writing it in language that, that resonates, that makes sense, where you're communicating, you know, this is the different experience that no, you have. I mean, Thinking about any decks that you put together and telling stories in them. There's so many things that we can do to just change the way we communicate so that we're aligning with the experience that we want people to you have. You guys are spot on. Now I know why you guys are so successful. You're, you're doing it. Yeah. You guys are great. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. Well, um, this has been a really great conversation, Hank, and I'm sure our, our listeners are thinking the same thing. One question that we always like to to end as we wind down the, the episode is what are some books that you would recommend to our listeners who are um, who are thinking that they're aligned with, with what you've been telling? Um, it could be about economic development. It could be about the city of Phoenix uh, or just general, um, general Well, books. you know, it's fascinating because, you know, I don't get asked that kind of question an awful lot, but I think it's an interesting one because I think it, you know, it kind of, kind of gets at somebody's DNA, right? Uh, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. so I would say, you know, some of my favorite books, and this may sound really off the wall, are uh, books written by a gentleman whose name was Theodore Zeus Geisel. Most people will know him as Dr. Seuss. Um, and, you know, he wrote, I think, just about 50 books. Most of them were written in the 50s. Uh, and mm-hmm. his genius is is essentially 60 years ahead of, you know, these books that you see out in the market today. I mean, he managed to weave in those kids' books and, you know, uh, some of his uh, 
his last book that he wrote, which is Places You'll Go, which is kind of a the last book he wrote before he died, um, has some of the most profound um, things that today they're as tr- they're as relevant today as they were the day that he wrote them. And I'm going to read you a couple because, you know, they are, are things that to me, I read them a lot because you never get tired of the way that he 60 years ago without the Internet, without, you know, this is probably on a typewriter, was able to put these feelings mm-hmm. down on paper. And one of his my favorite ones is uh, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Um, you know, is is a really interesting one. Um you know, why fit in when you were born to stand out? Another one of his famous ones. His other one as an engineer, as a kid growing up as an engineer, one of his ones that in a book that I remember reading was Think and Wonder, Wonder and Think. You know, it, it's two sides of the same coin, but it, it gets you to think. Isn't it interesting? Definitely. And then it's, you know, and from an entrepreneurial point of view, you know, if you're a venture capitalist, you're always looking at, what will my investment be, right? So his prophetic quote back in 1957 is, it's not about what it is. It's about what it can become. You know, so it's fascinating <laughs> that you know, all those um, years ago, somebody had the same way of distilling it down. And, and then I think today, you know, as you look at social media, you look at all the things that are influencing somebody's life, one of his quotes in his last book was, um, be who you are, say what you feel, because those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. Isn't, yes, isn't it a fascinating one, one? So, I mean, that's kind of my favorite writer, but what I would say is, lately, there are two things that, you know, it's funny, I, I find one or two kind of areas I want to read up on, and then... I feel like I know everything and then I shift to something else. But today I would tell you that, you know, probably the last year, there's two things that I've been reading a lot about on. And one is the topic of emotional intelligence. Um, and, you know, both for at a personal level and one at an enterprise level. And again, for my client to make sure that, you know, there is this expectation that you have um, the ability to connect um at, at that level, um, you know, and um, and I'm seeing it more and more. I mean, I think the three books that I remember I've read are Applied Empathy. Um, you know, Wait, The Art of the Science of Delay is a second really good book. And then the third one would be Wired to Care. You know, so I think it's it, it's it's an, it's important to me because I'm, I'm seeing it both in the people that I'm around the city that I'm in is making sure that we're we're on the same page and we're we are emotionally intelligent. And I'm seeing from a client point of view that that is becoming a a um, kind of a criteria, but they won't put it on paper. You know, they expect it of, yeah. expect of, of us to be yep. emotionally intelligent. Um, and then the second bucket for now would be um, digital transformation. So it's it's this mm-hmm. scary abyss that you know we are you know hurtling towards that um is is very difficult to get your hands around what will the impact be what will the 
what will the opportunity mm-hmm. be? What will the casualties be? And I mean casualties in the sense of job loss, um, the the change in the way that we do things. Um, you know, people will can and will try and deny that it's either coming or that it, it's coming in a variety of different shapes. But we are watching many, many businesses we, you know, that are consumed with, you know, if I want to be around in 20 years, how do I need to plan for that? I mean, this isn't like, you know, Y2K or, um, you know, some other, you know, uh, thing that I think is far more easy to manage from a, a future point. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's something that I'm seeing a lot talked about at, you know, chambers of commerce, any gatherings. You've got a lot of in-town conferences that are coming in to talk about digital transformation and what it means. Um, and, and not to be scared of it, to, to embed it in your business process to make sure that you're addressing it. So that would be my answer. I think it's um, it may bore the hell out of a lot of people to think he's reading. He's not reading some sort of, you know, science fiction or novel. But, um, you know, the, these two just seem to, I think, uh, they interest me not in a superficial way or I'm doing it for false pretenses. It, it does. It intrigues me. Um, and uh, it's always fun to keep learning new things. So I, I don't think I'll ever stop. All right, Hank, that was that was great. It's funny that you mentioned Dr. Seuss because the Lorax is, I would say, in my top five favorite books ever. And I reread it at least once a year, if not more. Uh, and you're right that there's just so much wisdom in books that are written for kids. But um, but there, there's stuff that we can get out of them as well. So you're right. If you want people to learn more about you, more about your work, maybe more about the city of Phoenix, uh, what should they do? Where should they go? Well, I think, you know, uh, certainly the, the easiest would be to find me on LinkedIn. Um, just type in Hank Marshall um, and, you know, uh, I'll pop right up. I'm, I'm not sure that anybody has a name anywhere similar to that. But um, and, you know, uh, feel free to connect with me. I uh I'm always happy to do that. I'm always happy to exchange, um, and uh, whether it's email, phone numbers, and, and and meet other people. I think it's a it's a fabulous platform to start new relationships. To um, and if I can be of help to anybody that has an interest in Arizona or in the city of Phoenix, um, I'm here to help enable that for them in whatever way that I can. So uh, it's my way of saying I invite anybody and, and, and everybody, if you will, to. Certainly find me, connect, and uh, let's see where it goes. All right. Perfect. I hope that uh, I hope that you get some some interest after people listen to this episode. I know um, it was it was a great conversation. I very much appreciate it. So thank you so much, Hank, for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you. It's been immensely enjoyable and uh, you did a fabulous job. So thank you. Thanks, Hank. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 218. Be sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode. I believe this will be the first inspirational episode that you're going to hear from our new marketing and sales assistant, Mark Krogan. So he's going to be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics, questions you'd like us to address, guests that you would recommend that we interview, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, 
please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening today. Um, if you leave a rating or a review, that helps us. It lets us, us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And it actually helps more people find the show. So really appreciate it if you can do that. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!